Hey everybody, if you are a writer or an aspiring writer, or if you just love literature, I have a book for you. It's called Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, a DIY manual for the construction of stories. It is the long-awaited craft book by Steve Almond, based on three decades of his writing career, a career that has featured at turns depression, failure, anxiety, self-loathing, despair, self-doubt, loss of faith, delusions of grandeur, and the occasional triumph. It's a book about the writing life. Steve Almond has done it. He has embraced it, the full catastrophe, and he has lived to tell about it. The Boston Globe says, quote, this isn't just a book about writing. It's a book about honesty. And Richard Russo calls it, quote, one of the best books on writing I've ever read. It's also the funniest by a country mile. Once again, it's called Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, a DIY manual for the construction of stories by Steve Almond, available from Zando. Go get your copy right now, wherever you buy books. Hey folks, today's episode is brought to you by Litbreaker. Litbreaker is an online advertising network. It's a place to advertise online. It's how to get your advertisements online onto the websites that you want to get your advertisements onto. Go to litbreaker.com to learn how you can advertise on a bunch of great culture sites all at once. Sites like the Nervous Breakdown, the Rumpus, Electric Literature, the Paris Review. Are you kidding me? Litbreaker.com. This is where you get your advertisements in front of culturally sophisticated people. Litbreaker.com. It's an online advertising network for art nerds, book nerds, nerds. Go and advertise it. Oh, my God. You are not alone. You have found other people. You and I have a friend in common. Every stupid thing that a writer could do, I've done. I think it's really beautiful. Jesus, dude, what a struggle, you know? It was incredible, you know, it's like your head exploded seeing what was really there. And now here's your host, Brad Listy. Just one person at just one time. All right, everybody, here we go again. This is it. This is other people. This is better late than never. This is something you can do while operating a canoe. How's it going? I'm Brad Listy. I'm here in Los Angeles. It's nice to be with you. Did you know that uh, David Letterman, when he was in college, had a girlfriend that I think became his wife? I think he got married in college. Uh, one of uh, my high school teachers went to college with David Letterman and told me, and I may have said this before on this program, that when he, uh, when David Letterman was in college at Ball State University in Muncie, Indiana, he had an apartment. He didn't really have furniture, but he did have a canoe that he placed in his living room. And when people wanted to watch TV, they sat in the canoe. And the canoe was pointed at the TV. So when you sat in the canoe with David Letterman and uh, his wife and friends, it was kind of like, you know, there's like seven or eight people in the canoe. And then you had to like lean one way and then the person behind you would lean the other way. Do you see what I'm saying? And that was how people had to watch TV. That was what my high school teacher told me about David Letterman and his canoe. So it's good to be with you. My guest today is Elizabeth Crane. This is her second appearance on the Other People podcast program. Those of you who are Other People premium subscribers can also listen to her in episode 79 to learn more about how to subscribe to Other People Premium, just go to the you know otherpeople.com. There's a whole section about it. Elizabeth Crane has a new novel out. It's called The History of Great Things. It's available from Harper Perennial right now. And uh, it was really good talking with her. Uh, before we get to that conversation, I do want to answer some questions from listeners. This evening, as I was sitting here trying to think of uh, what to talk about in the monologue, I thought, well, why not open the floor to questions? I went to Twitter 
I told people to ask me questions. I said the floor was open. I received multiple questions. I will now field those questions uh, to some music. I figure it would be nice to have some uh, music playing while I answer questions that people sent to me via Twitter. So uh, here we go with that. All right. Uh, the first question comes from a listener named Alex Higley. Brad, he says, what is the best LaCroix flavor? LaCroix, of course, is the uh, sparkling water beverage that comes in colorful cans. Many of you may be familiar with it from your local grocery store. I got to say, like as an investor, I'm bullish on LaCroix because I feel like uh, people, millennials especially, are becoming hip to the fact that uh, your average soft drink beverage is very unhealthy. It's loaded with sugar, empty calories, chemicals. It offers uh, the human body very little in the way of sustenance. And so I think what LaCroix has realized is that it can wedge itself into a space in the market where these kinds of conscious consumers will reach out for a refreshing beverage that is essentially just, you know, bubble water with an infusion of natural calorie-free uh, calorie flavoring. My favorite LaCroix fr uh, flavor, if I had to pick one, is, is probably just plain. Because I read something on the internet not too long ago about how... Uh, the I think it's especially the citrus flavor infusions coupled with the carbonation in the water can uh, over time work to take the enamel off of your teeth. So for those of you out there who love La Croix, there's a dagger in your heart. You thought it was guilt-free. You thought it was healthy. It's ruining your teeth. So I like the plain because, you know, it doesn't have anything in it. It's just the bubbles. Maybe it's, it's like slowing that process. If I'm going to live dangerously, I'm going to drink the lime or the lemon. Thank you, Alex, for the question. All right, so Joseph Edwin Hager asks, uh, do you think our consciousness survives death? No. I don't. Or at least not in the way that we might conceive of it. I think, like, maybe it gets absorbed by some sort of collective, massive, cosmic consciousness that we can't even properly process. But probably not, I don't know. And that's probably a good thing. Consciousness is overrated. Gemma Webster asks, uh, Brad, why is writing about family an unforgivable crime? It's not. I forgive you. Go write about your family. It's like Norman Mailer used to say, uh, and I don't mean to be precious. I know, you know, I know Norman Mailer was a you know could be misogynistic, but I love this quote from him where he says, uh, "Do you like how I just had to qualify all that?" That's the you know. Anyway, he said that a, a writer who is afraid to offend is like a surgeon who is afraid to cut. So Gemma. Go be offensive. 
All right, let's see what else we got here. A writer na- or a listener named Alex says, "Brad, how is the screenwriting going? How are you liking it?" I'm enjoying it. Uh, my writing partner and I, uh, Melissa Broder, we just finished another uh, half-hour sitcom. It's about a New Age resort. We'll see what happens. Michelle Raphael. Brad, what is your take on literary L.A.? The good, the bad, the ugly. Is there a there there? Also, can you please talk about Mad Men and smoking? Hi, Michelle. There is a literary Los Angeles. It's great when it comes together, but it doesn't come together frequently. And I think that's just an extension of the uh, social problem of Los Angeles, which is that because of distance, geographical size, traffic, it's difficult to socialize in Los Angeles. It's a logistical nightmare. But there is a literary Los Angeles. I firmly believe that. And I will be back uh, tweeting about Mad Men when I have completed The People vs. O.J. Simpson. Matilda B. Sycamore, past uh, guest on this program, says, Brad, do you file your nails or bite them? I clip them. And I occasionally bite them and I'm not proud of it. Darcy Wilder says, Brad, can you help me? Possibly. I need more information, Darcy. I don't know. I need context. Lauren Kinney says, do you have pre-podcasting rituals? Yeah, I sit here and like scribble notes and try to think of what to say in the monologue. Nathan Penske says, how do you achieve righteousness in the material world? I think be a voracious reader, self-educator, free, you know, free thinker, independent thinker, non-materialistic, live your life in service of other people, focus on simple kindness on a daily basis, understand that we're all in this together. Use that as a North Star. I don't know, man. All right, should I stop there? (laughs) It's a lot of questions. It's a lot of Kenny G. But you have to admit it, you feel freer right now than you've felt in months. Hey, everybody, if you are a writer or an aspiring writer, or if you just love literature, I have a book for you. It's called Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, a DIY manual for the construction of stories. It is the long-awaited craft book by Steve Almond, based on three decades of his writing career, a career that has featured at turns depression, failure, anxiety, self-loathing, despair, self-doubt, loss of faith, delusions of grandeur, and the occasional triumph. It's a book about the writing life. Steve Almond has done it. He has embraced it, the full catastrophe, and he has lived to tell about it. The Boston Globe says, quote, this isn't just a book about writing. It's a book about honesty. And Richard Russo calls it, quote, one of the best books on writing I've ever read. It's also the funniest by a country mile. Once again, it's called Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, 
a DIY manual for the construction of stories by Steve Almond, available from Zando. Go get your copy right now, wherever you buy books. All right, guys. Uh, my guest today is Elizabeth Crane. Her new novel is called The History of Great Things, available now from Harper Perennial. Uh, very pleased to have Elizabeth back on the program. Here she is, folks. This is Elizabeth Crane. Her novel, one more time, is called The History of Great Things. We talked a couple years ago. Yeah. It was a couple years ago? For yeah, four. Like four. When the last book came out, four years ago. Okay, and the last book is called We Only Know So Much, know so much which has been made into a movie. Yes. Who made the movie? My dear friend Donald Lardner Ward. Okay. We co-wrote it. Oh wow! And uh, shot it, and uh, it's a it's a micro budget yeah, film. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so we shot it in like sixteen days, I think. Oh shit! Okay, so this is an interesting thing to get to talk about. Somebody who has written a book that has been adapted, that participated in the adaptation, and then went out and shot on a micro budget, which is something you can do now yeah. more easily than yeah. you could previously yeah. due to. Yeah, he it. knew that going in. Yeah, yeah, but advances in technology now allow theoretically for people to make movies. More easily than they used to be able to. Yeah, very much so. Yeah. Barrier to entry is lower. Yeah. So um, you sat down to write the script with him, yeah. or at least you sat down in your separate offices and ema <laughs> yes. emailed it back and forth. That's exactly what we did, yeah. And then did you have to raise money? Well, Donnie was fully, you know, responsible for that. I mean, he produced, oh, okay. directed, co-wrote. Gotcha. And um, and I, I like to say that, you know, in terms of the writing, like, he did all the heavy lifting. Like, let's just put that on the table. Like, we, we wrote all the scenes together, but, like... This is your opportunity to take credit for shit you didn't do. <laughs> <laughs> putting, like, just sort of, like, because I don't have a lot of experience in that way. And uh, so, but he, he has been working in the business for a long time, and he's made independent films before, and he has worked on... A lot of like HBO type, you know, big shows and whatever, and so he has he's a, comes with a lot of experience. He's very savvy about the business end of it, and he knew how to go about finding people that would give him money. And how do you know him? He and I, I so I worked on a TV show that he was wrote, directed, starred in, uh, produced. He's whatever. an actor too. He was an actor, yeah. Wow. He, I don't know. He doesn't do that much anymore. It's a triple threat. Yeah, triple threat. <laughs> um, but he worked on it. He. I, he was my boss on a TV show that I worked on called Two Something, which was is going back to like '96 or something. Okay. Um, and uh, we, you know, we stayed friends. Wow. Yeah. And then you made a movie together. And then we made a movie together. And you got yeah. to go on the set. I was there. Yeah. I, you know, it was a crazy thing. He sort of had me there as like a backup in case there was uh, an actor uh, uh, got sick. <laughs> yes. Well, I was in the film. I'll tell you about that too. But no, it was more um, like if they needed to do a last minute fix or rewrite or something then i would be there um i i maybe was called to do that like one time for one little thing at the last minute otherwise it was just kind of two weeks of me trying not to be in anybody's way yeah, but like, also just absorbing the fact that people were saying my words was there craft services or no this is micro budget was there like a, uh, a six foot sub and some... there was there yeah there kind of was okay. yeah a six foot sub it was a, slightly better than that <laughs> all right yeah, was is that like... where you like I, I would imagine myself like just standing there like like meekly like nibbling or something <laughs> pretty much pretty much and you did have to move around and, and at times there were the main location is this family house and so they rented this house it was shot in the hamptons oh okay and uh it's a uh, multi-generational family and so they all six people in one house and so they they shot those scenes in this beautiful old house 
that was big, but like not when there's a crew of 30 something people and a cast of six in right. there too. Right. And so just constantly like moving people and moving equipment and trying to like, you know, go through halls, like, you know, uh, sideways and whatever. And, um, Were the, who started the movie? Anybody we would so know? So the, the, yeah, the lead, the lead, uh, actress is Jean Triplehorn. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. And the husband, her husband is played by an actor named, um, Damien, Damien Young. I always get, I always get Damien's mixed up, but Damien Young, uh, who was amazing. And, um, the grandfather is played by, um, uh, I'm spacing out, uh, Loudon Wainwright. Okay. Well, I, you know, and I'm now flashing to, I want to say I was in Amsterdam and I saw Jean Triplehorn and I, and she was walking. In the city of Amsterdam, you're saying. I could be totally wrong on this. Yeah. This is how, I mean, this is like my premature dementia coming <laughs> out. But I want to say I was in Amsterdam. I was, you know, backpacking probably in my 20s or whatever it was oh. and saw her and was like, oh my God, that's Jean Triplehorn. And then I, then I realized like, a couple of beats after that, that she was actually filming a scene. Oh, crazy. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, I was like, I thought sure. she was like in the wild, but she was actually filming a scene. <laughs> but I have a distinct memory of seeing her. I'm just not exactly sure what city it was in. So if you talk to her, I like, will tell. Be like, do you remember that guy? <laughs> <laughs> I will. Clearly. That rando. I'm sure she remembers. Yeah. So, okay. So uh, they, they shoot the movie. Uh, you're there. What's it like to see a book you wrote that's then been adapted, you participated in it, but then see like professional actors, um, you know, saying those words and telling that story? It's, it's a lot of things, but mostly it's really amazing. You know, I mean, I'm a fiction writer, so there's that. And it doesn't, there have been instances where things of mine have been performed or whatever, but it doesn't, it doesn't happen that often. And it for sure doesn't get old to see your stuff coming off the page in sure. that way. And, um, and particularly, I mean, there's so many aspects of it that are just amazing. And I would sometimes say to Donnie, like on set, like people are saying the words that we wrote, like, can you even believe that? <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, it's, um, it's okay. So the, the, this family is actually the, there's these three generations and the four, Younger ones are totally like from scratch fictional, and the older two I may have talked about this last time, whatever, but just to revisit yeah um the older two are based on my father and his very old mother, so okay. my father was like in his eighties and had parkinson's and uh and then his mother was perfectly healthy at ninety eight or whatever and so Loudon Wainwright is playing my dad in his rougher parkinson's years. And the wardrobe department, like, didn't consult me, really, or, you know, on what to do. But they dressed him, like, in a way that my dad, you know, was very similar. And and he kind of had that shuffle, you know. And he walked past me, and it was, like, everything I could do not to cry. Wow. He doesn't really look like my dad, you know. It's not yeah. like that in the movies. But I just was, like, I could hardly, and plus he's loud and Wainwright. But, like, I couldn't, I could hardly, like, talk to him without just being like either crying or being a it's total like an geek. essence it's like an essence yeah the essence he like he nailed it yeah. and it's really weird like like it's uh you think about like i have a lot of admiration for actors like to be able to do that i think sometimes in my mind when i'm assessing what they do i can oversimplify it like oh you just get great lines you say those lines yet yeah, but no that you bring a lot to it like a flat reading of lines even well-written lines doesn't do anything. It's I talk to my actor friends about it. Yeah, because 
just memorizing the lines is something that is like I don't okay I know you do it when you're in grade school you have reasons to you know like memorize a poem or whatever but I find that like just memorizing the lines is enough I can't figure out I can't think about bringing an emotional thing to that like right. that's like those two things it's and a like, behavioral thing like what you're doing physically with yeah, your body like to think it. to have it all sort of uh coordinated and happening in a way that feels natural yes that, that's hard to do yes and so there was a scene in this film uh i thought maybe donnie was going to give me a little like hitchcock or something you know like where i would just kind of walk sideways onto the yeah, set like, and then walk past yeah. um but i had like six lines oh wow and Ah, and it was in a scene with Gene Triplehorn and Donal Logue. Okay. And it's no a pressure. No pressure. And there's like uh, six, five or six people in the scene. It's supposed to be a book club. And basically, my goal as an actor was just to to not fuck up my lines. Yes. It's like you know, if, just if, read them off the palm of your hand. <laughs> I didn't want to fuck up the words that I wrote. I didn't want to like cost them money. Yeah. You know. Um, the scene wasn't about me, you know, so uh, that was it. But, you know, then, like, Donal Logue is across from me, and he, like, he delivers his line that's really funny. And he, and, but my character is not supposed to think it's funny. So, you gotta act. so now acting comes yeah. into play, right? Yeah. <laughs> and I was just like, I just, like, I was just hoping the cameras weren't on, like, really, you know, they edited away because it was, I couldn't, like, just like, just no expression. Just go for no expression. You know? <laughs> I'm acting. I'm acting yeah. right now. Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah, I don't know. I would have to really... Did you practice? Or did you just go in and just kind of like wing it? I did. I did. I did. I practiced so that I wouldn't forget my lines. But I didn't know how to like... You know, I know how to read a story. When I'm reading a story, right, I can sort of bring an authorly reading of character lines. But I don't try to act them. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's much more kind of just you'd read a book to a kid or whatever right. kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. Like, well, maybe not quite that dramatic. I but. can do like a mean Voldemort. <laughs> there you go. But I'm there you go. I might do a Brooklyn accent <laughs> if called for. Yes. In yes. A, in a reading. Yes. But it becomes something else when there's like money at stake. And, yeah. You know. What did you What did you shoot on? Was it on like a high def video or was it, were you actually shooting on film? Or? Well, they. It was. <sighs> I don't want to talk on my ass. Talk on my ass. Yeah. Um, it was hot. The, they had like high end, like cameras. Panavision cameras, right. and um, they had an amazing cinematographer. So what I can tell you is that having seen a number of cuts of it, it looks gorgeous. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. I would have if it's a micro budget film, I'd be surprised if they shot on actual celluloid. Right. But I don't. The, I think. I think not. Yeah. But the truth is, you don't need to in order in, in, yeah. in order to get yeah. a really beautiful looking yeah. Uh, piece of film yeah that's cool yeah um it's it's visually really really beautiful okay and then when you're doing the the shoot and you're involved or you're at least like peripherally you're standing on the periphery awkwardly watching that's exactly right not knowing where to stand (laughs) uh if they did they improvise at all with your words or was it like a by the book like orthodox like read of the script uh there, I, I don't know about improvising, but I think certainly there were sometimes. Uh, it was not. It was not hardcore like that. Yeah. No. And it's like, and a, there were changes made. Like maybe if they would say it wrong, or if they would say it a different way, 
that Donnie would just kind of go with it if it seemed to work. Yeah. You know? See, that's the way I, I mean, I always imagine if I were ever making a film, that's the way I would be. Open to improvisation on the set, open to tweaks in the moment. I think so. But then you like, I read about like the Coen brothers and I want to say like, there is like a total fidelity to what's on the page when you shoot with them. And it works. And it works. Right. So it's, it's so, you know, I think that like, however you go about getting that, I mean, it's hard to imagine that like a Wes Anderson film would be, you know, loose. Yeah. (laughs) But like David O. Russell, I want to say is like standing next to the camera like just talking to his actors like while they're shooting like giving them ideas like oh really that's the way i I, wow. like, I could be misremembering that but i think i read that's the way that he does it yeah and if you think about like the frenetic pace of his films and the way yeah. they're cut together like yeah. it starts to make a little bit of sense yeah. that seems interesting to me I think, yeah i think i'd be more that way but i could be wrong yeah uh, yeah to, because there might a... be some magic that would come you don't yeah know. yeah it's, and it's just like you got to have a lot of confidence in your script to be like every syllable is right. <laughs> a lot of confidence, or maybe some control issues. Maybe some control <laughs> issues. Yeah, I have those too somewhere. <laughs> I'll have to work on those. Um, okay, so and now you've got a new novel out. I have a new novel out. Yes, and it's uh, all about your mom. Well, it's about me and my mom. You and your mom. Here's the question: um, You fictionalized it. Yes. Why not write a memoir? Ah. <laughs> Uh, well, there's two reasons. Uh, I do actually want to write a memoir. You do? Uh, yes. But the memoir that I want to write is not this story. Okay. What's the, what's the what memoir do you want to write? Well, the memoir that I want to write, that's actually the first part of the answer because the truth is I do not feel confident in my nonfiction skills. So that's a lot of it. But the memoir that I want to write is, she would be a character in it for sure. But it would be about growing up in New York with a single mom who, you know, ha- was this opera singing career person. Yeah, your um, mom was an opera singer. Yes. We talked about this in our first conversation. Yes. Yeah. And we can, we can I mean, it, it comes up in this book too, but in it, it, New York City, growing up in New York City, uh, was a, a factor in my formation. Sure. So profoundly uh, for, in good and, you know, in, in all kinds of ways, good and bad, uh, that... And it was the 60s and 70s in New York, too. I should say that. So it was a very complex kind of time to be in New York. You know, it was, it was, there's, you know, it was like drop dead on the front of the, you know, um, Ford, it was a Ford to New York, the headline on the post. It was just a bad time. And uh, so I I have a, a relationship with New York still in, in a lot of ways that is very, complicated and i i'd like to be able to get that on the page um so that would be like it would be sort of half and half yeah 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 yeah. and then this book the novel you made the decision to fictionalize yes Uh, it's about you and your mom but like talk about like like this feels like one of those books and i could be totally wrong but because it's such a uh unique formulation uh I can imagine people have described it like with the word quirky or whatever. Hasn't seen that yet. I haven't seen that, but it's bound to, it's bound to happen. Yeah. But you know what I'm saying? <laughs> but it feels like one of those books that you really had to kind of feel your way towards structurally. Yes. Yes. Is that, was yeah. it, was it a long process getting well, to like where you figured out how to tell it? It is a, well, it was at the structure actually came first. If, oh, it did. if that makes sense. I mean, the, 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 the sort of idea of it came via the structure, which is basically that a mother and a daughter are sitting down to talk to each other and tell each other what they think the other person's life story is. Um, so it's sort of inherently like I'm starting with these two characters who to me are very real, her and me. But 
the other person is telling the other one stories that they couldn't, they weren't there for, they wouldn't have heard those stories. They couldn't possibly know whether or not it's just kind of guessing. Yeah. Like I'm guessing what it was like when my mother was born and she's guessing what it was like when I was dating or whatever. This brings up an interesting point. Even uh, a mother daughter relationship or a parent child relationship. There's so much you don't know. Well, this is a huge thing. This is a huge thing. And I, I really, it was sort of born of the idea like, what did she think my life was? Yeah. You know, because I kept secrets and she kept secrets. And how well can you actually ever know anybody? Even somebody you live with, even somebody. Well, you're, right. You're, you're blood related, you know, like everything. Like, right. Even those people. Like my daughter's five years old. She has a world of secrets, things I don't know. Really? Ha- well, I mean, things that happen at school. Right. You wouldn't know. You wouldn't know. You wouldn't know. I mean, and this actually isn't in the book because I've written short stories about this before, but, you know, when I was growing up, um, I don't know whether this was related to the times or whatever, but I had numerous little girlfriends who, like, one was being, like, I think sexually abused at home. You know, I was in third grade. We were friends. I would go to her house. Her father was perverted. Like, he, he you know, he had, I mean, he, I knew from other little friends that he was doing really, like, extremely inappropriate things in their presence. Oh, God. And He didn't yes, do this to you. No, but he would watch us. And it was creepy. Yeah. And another little girlfriend of my best friend in fifth grade, her, I knew that she was being physically abused. She would tell me, like, that her stepfather beat her with a belt. And I got sent home. I remember there was this very dramatic time when I got sent home because we got in trouble. Right. Um, And that was, I mean, that was a horrible, horrible thing. But I didn't go home and tell my mother these things. I don't even know if I told her when I was an adult, you know, just because whatever. But I, I definitely did not tell her those stories. Wow. Yeah. Why not? Was that just the nature of your relationship or is that how most kids? I, well, yeah, I, I think I, I think now I can say that the reason why not was because my mom had so many kind of issues and so many things going on that I kind of felt like. You don't want to add to it. Yeah. 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 I mean, I must have sort of instinctively known like. It's this like might pro- be something that would trouble her. It's like a protective thing? Or is it more like a, this is more trouble than it's worth? Both. Uh, both, probably, yeah. 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 All right. And yeah. so... And I was... I mean, my whole MO was being a good girl. Don't bother anybody. Like, you know... And you were an only? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And it was the two of you? Yeah, for a while. What part of uh, Manhattan again? West End Avenue in the 80s. In the 80s. Yeah. All right. I... I Upper I, West Side. I, a recurring theme on this show is me talking to people who were raised in Manhattan and just being like... What was that like? What was that like? <laughs> <laughs> I want to write a book about it, Brad. You should write that book. Yeah. You should write that book. But you've yeah. written this book. Um, did you learn anything about your mom? Your mom is no longer with us. Correct. So she's not here to be like, no. Oh, no. So, yeah, no. She's gone for like 17 years, but I'm really eager to hear what her friends have to say about it. Yeah, because I'm just like, did, did was it illuminating in some way? I know you're like, you're reaching and you're Extremely, fictionalizing. yeah. So tell Extremely. me about what you learned. Well, so here's the thing, you know, I have written about her before and, uh, that, you know, mostly from the perspective of a daughter who like, you know, there was this, I've written a story about loss and, you know, I've written stories where she's this sort of like over the top character because that's what she was. But this was a book and a concept that called for me to get inside her head. Yeah. And, and uh, to empathize with her and to empathize with her. Why does she make these choices? You know? And, uh, so I'd write these scenes trying to imagine what it was like for her to get married at 20 when she was an ambitious opera singer, you know. And she could really do it. Oh, yeah. Can you do that? Did I ask you that? 
I sang opera as a kid. You did in New York City Children's. But I mean, you ha- you can sing a little bit. I can sing a little bit, yeah. Right. But I have stage fright, and I didn't, you know, do okay. it. Okay, okay. Uh, ultimately, so I won't make you sing on the air. Please don't. <laughs> um, but yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but so she, you, you know, she, she, um, but she, I think had, I don't know. I, I mean, I know that she had depression. Um, Who doesn't these days? Right. But, you know, this was back then, and, like, she would sort of try different things. I think she tried to help herself. Was she, like, neurochemically? Because I think there's situational... Oh, yes. Situational... I, 100%, like, okay. chemically, like, she had... I, I My theory, my working theory, having not having the information, is that she may have been kind of somewhere in the manic-depressive, okay. you know, extreme. Yeah, that's different. I think but people... I don't know. I think most people... I mean, we all feel depressed at times. Yeah. Situationally. Yeah. Maybe seasonally. Yes. Um, but then there are people, I think, who are like next level, where it's like can't get out of bed. or Without a doubt, this was that. Okay. Yeah, this would, was that. Would, would you see her in, in states where she was just like like moping around the house? Or... <laughs> there was a lot of crying. Uh-huh. There was a lot of crying. You know, then there were highs and lows. Yeah. You know, She's extremes. an opera star. She's an opera star. She was a big personality. She was, um, you know, but like she had a lot of anger issues. Yeah. You know. Who doesn't? <laughs> <laughs> Was she breaking things? I mean, was it like that kind of anger? Uh, there was a telephone that once got pulled off the wall. But yeah. that, that might have been my stepfather. I can't remember. There was a fight in which the telephone got ripped off the wall. That was as, that was as broken as anything. Okay, so let me confess to you because I've been worried about Please. my anger this uh, this week because I'm staying up with my son. He is not sleeping well and it's like been waking me up. And I, I've gotten like two and a half, three hours of sleep mm. the past two or three nights in a row. I'm so sorry. Usually it's like, usually I'll get like a reprieve, you know, it'll yeah, be like sure. one on, one off, one on, one off yeah. or whatever. But, yeah. um, you know, the last two nights just brutal. And like, Ugh. at like three in the morning, I'm like trying to fall asleep and he's like, eh, and he starts to cry. Oh, and I'm like, motherfucker. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, right. I'm like talking to an eight yeah. month old baby and I'm like, okay, motherfucker, let's do this. Like, yeah. <laughs> and then like settling down, I look at him and I'm like, what am I doing? I just yeah. called my, you know, yeah, that's okay. That right? seems really normal to me. <laughs> that seems really I'm normal like, to I'm me. I'm not a monster. I'm not like, this is just, no, it's just desperate sleep deprivation. I don't think there's any chance if I had had kids that that wouldn't be the case. I think a lot of parents call their infant children motherfuckers. I think it's normal. <laughs> Let's justify this. <laughs> Chi- I call my dog an asshole sometimes. <laughs> As Child Protective Services is like yeah. dialing my number. But exactly. I don't know. You know, but I do, I don't like, I like the idea of being in complete control of, or, or mostly complete control of my emotions, uh, which is not yeah. to say that I don't feel angry. It's not to say yes. that I don't feel afflicted in some way. Right. But just that I don't speak or act when in those states of affliction. And when I, yes. when I lose that discipline... Uh, I, I become disappointed in but myself. But it's cha- I, I feel the same way, and it's challenging sometimes when you're out in the world and you have a feeling of some kind. Yeah. And but it's not a a situation where that's appropriate, right? Yeah. You're in a business meeting or a a party or something, and you're you know you have cause to some some stuff kind of bubbles up, and it's very hard in the moment to get that. Separation. Part of you, yeah, that says like, okay, it's okay to feel this, but like, let's not say something stupid here, or right. let's not, you know, whatever. You bite the hook. It's like you know, yeah. that hook is in front of you, and you're like, fuck it, you yeah. bite it, you know, or take it out on the other person, or whatever it mm. is. Yeah, uh, it's a, you know, how do you deal with all that? Like, do you feel like uh, you're pretty, like you're pretty level? Like, do you feel like you are you? Well, mm, you don't seem too mercurial. Like, you don't seem some like somebody. No, I really, I feel like I feel like I've created that that 
level persona, and it's not necessarily true. And I really didn't mean to do it on purpose. Okay. But, I mean, there's a truth to it, right? There is a truth to it. But I, you know, I mean, it's years of therapy and other things. Like You did a lot of therapy? Get to this point. Oh, yeah. And it helped? Yes. 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 And, you know, um, and I don't, I'm not a ruffler of feathers, so I'm not going to, like, walk into, you know. But I'm very good at kind of, like, usually I'm good at kind of acting my way through situations where i might be shaky or or you whatever. know what happens to me sometimes is like uh something can upset me okay whatever whatever it might be and i'll have this like hurt inside of me but i will not act on it in that moment or in that situation or i won't speak about it directly right but it'll still be there kind of gnawing on me yeah and then some other thing will happen <laughs> to which i might react disproportionately and it's really the yes. first thing that I'm angry. You know what I'm saying? Yes. Like, it's, well, I think that's a really common thing, don't you? That, that like things come out a little sideways, right? Yeah. Sometimes. That's the, I mean, that's you know, you. I, I, it's easier for me to kind of almost see that in other people, where like, or, or I can see it by myself later, maybe. But you know, in the moment, like somebody has a reaction to something and that's so disproportionate to maybe what you said or what happened. And, and you're like, clearly something's going on with yeah, that person. Yeah, like this is not about like they had the a shitty, color or whatever, <laughs> you know. Yeah, they had a shitty week or exactly. a bad day at work or yeah. whatever it is. Yeah. Um, so uh, here's a weird question for you. Uh, or maybe not a weird question. But like when you assess yourself at this point in your career as a writer um, with several books under your belt, is there something that you think you, you're best at? Like what's your strong suit as a writer? Oh, that's a good question. So that like requires me to congratulate yourself <laughs> publicly. It's okay. Yes. Um. I. Yeah. I think. I. I mean. Like. Uh, without just like making it as simple as like I'm good at fiction. Um. I think I'm. I think I'm good at kind of balancing like funny and real. If that makes sense. And yeah. I do think I have a kind of a unique voice. Like I'm voicey. You know. That's kind of my thing. And. Um. But I. But what you is know, it? Voicey means is you, you like you have like a, a narrator, who's got like a very like uh, not mannered way of speaking, but just distinct. Distinct in the way that people sound. You know, like I'm not afraid to kind of let people ramble on or use colloquial speech or you know even narrators or um, characters or whatever. That takes a certain level of control. Because if you get unwieldy with that stuff, it can become distracting or you know annoying to read if it's too much. Well, you know? I worry about annoying all the time. I mean, that it's funny that I all these books later that like annoying has not ever come up in a review. <laughs> There's still time. <laughs> it would be legitimate, I think. But like, but I, I that's that's kind of a word that I think about. Like, I don't want my mannerisms, my literary mannerisms, to bug people or to get in the way of the story or to get definitely not to you know where it's like story. oh this is really really voicey and like you're so yeah so sort of like you know battered by it that you forget that no it's happening. meant to engage you it's meant to feel like you're sitting in the room with me and i'm telling you a story kind of thing does it take longer to write something that's voicey or are you fast I'm longer i i'm a fast writer when i'm going okay. you know so yeah i write fairly fast because i think about uh but then i write a lot of stuff that's shitty so that's why a book doesn't come out for four years you know what i mean well like, yeah I was before about, i get to the thing that's good i was thinking about catcher in the rye which is just like kind of like a quintessential example of like a voicey book for sure uh it took 10 years to write that that's crazy and i yet, know and yet it makes sense to me because when you read it it, it tricks you into it's like oh somebody's just talking and 
it's got that kind of like effortlessness to yes. it. But to get to the point where you're actually building a really clear and compelling narrative within the context of that voice yeah. and everything's kind of flowing seamlessly, like that's hard work line by line. It is. It is. And there's still, and, and when people do it well, they're still like knowing what we know about how literature works because because we are writers there's still like when you read an amazing book that way you think like oh well that person it's obviously effortless for that person yes <laughs> that's know? the trick though but that's the trick exactly you know, easy reading is hard writing typically good yeah that's good you know yeah, yeah. that's what i tell myself <laughs> <laughs> see this hard writing it's going to be easy reading yeah one hopes um, yeah so, okay, writing aside, just in general, another yeah. strange question perhaps, or a little bit of a, a curveball, uh, what are you afraid of? Oh, besides everything? I don't know. Is there something that gnaws at you? Do you have like a primary fear or something that you, uh, or, or like a God, fear I that, have so, uh, is there a fear that drives you? I have fear of, I have fear of confrontation. I have fear of conflict. I have fear of abandonment that's yeah. i mean that's really at the core that's super at the core like i still i've been married for i've been with my husband for 13 years and like all conflict comes down to like he's gonna leave me like that's the first place my brain goes it's a little it's a little bit better now these like a dozen years later it's a little better yeah but that's still like sometimes he'll even say like i'm not gonna leave you, you right. Right. <laughs> it's okay we got married yeah yeah. But no, that's and, and that you think that stems from childhood. Yeah, I mean, you know, my parents are divorced. I didn't know where my dad was. You know, supposedly they told me that they were splitting up, but all I was just like, "Hey, where's dad?" You yeah. know, and and then my mom traveled a lot, so I was home by myself with a babysitter yeah. for months at a time. Sometimes. Well, it's so weird. You know, my daughter's five. My wife and I are are here all the time. We both work. Can from you home. imagine not being? It would seem. She, well, no. She has fear of... She's going through a phase right now oh, no. where she's afraid that we're not going to pick her up at school. Oh, no. And I'm like, what the... F I mean, of all parents. Yeah, I mean, right. we're always around. The people around. who are always around. Like, there's <laughs> so, nothing... You can't think of... You can't pinpoint what it, yeah. where the, what's causing that. No, I mean, the, the stuff that we're going through with my son and his health, like, maybe, like, yeah. she's picking up on some vibe. Right. We're trying to parse it. It's like, what right. is going on? Right. And she goes to, like, you know, her friend's birthday parties, and she's sort of like a stage five clinger, just, like, oh. hanging on to, like... <laughs> We're like, go oh, play with sorry your. Sorry Yeah, I'm trying to have a glass of like warm Chardonnay with my friends. Yeah. Can you go play with your kid friends? And like, oh. she won't do it. But, you know, um, yeah, it's weird. So I, I guess my point is that, uh, you know, any kid can have. That. I think yeah, having right. a fear of right. abandonment or right. or being left as a kid at a certain age, I think, is a total natural process. I think so. Yeah. But I think if your parents are split up, or if your mother is dealing with mental uh, right. health issues, right. You know, when she's in a low, I would imagine yeah. you felt sort of abandoned, right? Yeah. All, yeah. Or, or oh, yeah. the other thing, too, is that if you have a parent um, who is overwhelmed in some way and you're a kid, you know, there can be a role reversal thing that happens where you feel more like the caretaker. Oh, well, there's no question that I felt that. I mean, whether or not she – she didn't ask that of me, you no. know, but I felt that compulsion. Yeah, and, yes. and, what's that? and and the best way that I thought I could do that at six or eight or ten was just to kind of like leave her alone or bring her tissues when she was crying. You know what I mean? Like, Mom, be quiet. Mom, you got some booger. <laughs> yeah. Here's a Kleenex. <laughs> this is getting messy. Yeah. Uh, so, but yeah, that's a sweet that that kind of breaks my heart to think of kids 
that, that's the natural reflex. Yeah. Kids want to take care of their parents yeah. too when their parents aren't doing yeah. well. Yeah. And it's upsetting as a, as a kid to see your parent upset in any way, especially because, yeah. you know, in these early years, you know, parents are sort of superhuman or even not Seems human. Like, yeah. That's how we perceive of them, I think, yes. you know, and then to see that they are actually human and fragile and, sub, you know, subject yeah. to all of the yeah. things that people are subject to is, it can be upsetting. Well, and also, you know, we, I, we have so many friends who have kids of all ages at this point and, and many of them, some of them are grown, some of them are little tiny kids and some of them are graduating high school and college. And, you know, the thing that I see among my friends who are parents is that like, these are, I mean, they're my friends, so I think they're great. And I assume they're great parents. I see them interacting with their kids and it looks good to me, uh. you know, but kids are still kids and they go to school and things happen and life comes at them and, um, they have, and, and they have issues with their parents that maybe just because they're their parents. Oh, but you know, the thing too, is that behind closed doors in any, re- doors, any relationship, yeah. any family, and this is something that gnaws at me as a parent is that like. You can make a mistake as a parent, honest mistake, like yeah. low moment emotionally, yeah. short fuse, yes. tired, yeah. just tired, yes. you know, and then you say something or sometimes my, I have like a really dark sense of humor. And so I'll like make a dark yeah. humor joke, you know, like where I'm like, you know, if you don't go clean your room, like I'm going to shave your head or something like yeah. that. And she's like, yeah, dad, that's fucking creepy. And I'm like, yeah. why did I just say that to my kid? Right. And, and you know, my <laughs> wife will be like, dude, you know? yeah, <laughs> like. But yeah. I, I think, I guess, the point that I'm trying to make but is But I, ha- I have friends who, like, are fully, like, their dark sense of humor is fully, like, they're, they're, they don't hesitate to be themselves in that way with their kids. And I, their kids are really cool. I know. And I think, like, there's, I think there's something good about it. I think you need to teach your children humor. I think so, too. And I think for the most part, that's what I'm doing. I think the point that I'm trying to make, or, or the, the fear that I have, and this thing that I sort of think about a lot, is you can make a mistake, an honest mistake, which we all do. Uh, as a parent and it can mess with your child's head for a long time. Yes. <laughs> like and it's... and the thing is that you don't know what that's going to be. Right. You might think that it's this other thing that you feel terrible about, like sort of in the moment, but it might be this other random small thing. Yeah. That is the thing that they, that they hold on to. Yeah, well, she's been talking about uh, dying a lot lately. She's been very concerned about what happens when we die. And like, so that's a heavy thing. I, I feel is a very, yeah. strong sense of responsibility to like answer those questions and try yeah. to give her some sort of stable foundation. But it's like, is there some, some like reason that that's come up? I, you know, I, I mean, she, she went through, she's gone through phases uh, like this. Um, but I think it's the whole abandonment thing. I think yeah. she's just getting, there's not older. like, but there's no like friend of hers who's, you know, parent is, or dog no, or whatever. Not that I know yeah. of, not yeah. that I know of. Yeah. So, you know, but you sit down and she's like, so what happens? And oh. you're like, uh, you know, and she's like, so, can somebody who's younger than you die first? And I'm like, <laughs> yeah. And she's like, that's for a five year old. That's an amazing question. I know. She's like parsing all this stuff, and she's got kind of like a steel trap. Will mold. you let me know if she comes up with an answer? Like, <laughs> <laughs> I'm, like I'm like, actually, honey, I have no idea. But if you figure this out, will you tell daddy? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. No, it's it's just hard. You want to like do the best job you can, and like you just have to kind of accept the fact that you're going to fuck some things up. Yeah. That's just the nature yeah. of it. Yeah. Um, yeah. but you know, for all of the difficulties you had with your mom, uh, and your dad, did you have a relationship with him? I did. I ha- I mean, my dad and I were close, uh, even though I didn't grow up in, I grew up in, you know, 900, a thousand miles away from him. Oh, wow. Um, but, uh, but I loved my dad and he was much more like level. I often say that I'm like 
51% dad and 49% mom, but it's that 1% that <laughs> is the one that keeps me level. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, um, you know, I get a lot of, I, I'm, I feel pretty clear on the parts of me that are like her and him. Um, but he, you know, he, he, he was very even keeled and what did he do? He was a professor of musicology at oh, University okay. of Iowa. So you come from a couple of musical people yeah, and yeah. Perf- a, a, a performative your he mother did, your he, mother performed she was a performer yeah he was he did sometimes but it was mostly teaching I mean, and you're a really voicey writer which means you're kind of like a more performative fiction writer you know like, that's interesting there's yes. something performative about yeah it's doing... a, it's the be- it's you know for someone who is uh you know did sort of think about music as a possible option at least when i was a kid um it does it's it does strike me that my voice is just it's not a and there is a there is a rhythm to my writing certainly, but just that I have a I have a voice. Yeah. It's just not that kind of a voice. Yeah, no, it's like private, I'm conscious of that. Private exhibitionism. You're acting, but like in your little office, yeah. you know, quietly. Yes, exactly. <laughs> I'm the same way. I have like that. I mean, there's like a I have this thing where when I'm writing, I, I have to read it aloud, mm-hmm. and I like will be writing in a coffee shop, and I'll have headphones on. I've been listening to like ocean waves really loudly just oh, wow. to just to drown out. Yeah, I don't need. I can't do music with lyrics. I don't want to hear ambient coffee shop sounds. Like I need to yeah. just focus. And so yeah. I'll have that on and then I'll be reading my stuff and yeah. I'll, I'll start to mumble it aloud and not realize it because I have, <laughs> and the people next to me will be like, dude, shut the what, fuck up. What is wrong with you? Yeah, what is wrong with you? <laughs> and I've actually had to stop and be like, I'm really sorry. You know, yeah, have, oh my God. So yeah, you don't, do, do you do that? Do you read the You know, it's funny. I tell my students to do it. I tell my students to do it all the time for a couple of reasons. One is because it's a really good practice. You get to hear how things sound. And also, before I became a writer, I didn't ever do it. And so when I first had to give a reading, I was like, oh, crap. Yeah. Um, but I I should because... Especially for a voicey book. You would think it wouldn't be that hard. But actually, some of it, when I read in New York, was the first time I read from this book. And I was like, oh, my God, this is really hard to read out loud. Um, so Why I, was it hard? Well... The, a couple of reasons. One was that there was a whole bunch of dialogue that's on the page. It's in italics, and the two characters are together in one. It's all flows together. Like oh, her, but there's no attributions. The two people, right? No attributions, but it's yeah. not even like delineated with with returns. It's just like all in one paragraph. So oh, okay. Like, oh, I should have marked this up before that's I came tough, here. That's a tough section to to do, and I get that. But I I think, you know, like we talked about uh, hard writing making for easy reading. Yeah. I think the smell, like one of the most uh, significant smell tests that a piece of writing can go through in terms of whether or not it's well constructed, word by word, line by line, is whether or not it can be spoken and, and clearly understood. Yeah, yeah. Well, mm-hmm. they seem to understand. Yeah, right. It went okay. <laughs> I got some applause. Yeah, <laughs> some laughs in the right places. Yeah, but yeah. I mean, like structurally, especially if you're doing dialogue without attribution, I've actually thought about that because yeah. then you kind of have to do voices. Or something. It's, yeah, it's, well, with this book, it's an interesting thing because there are, so in between the chapters, the mother and the daughter, the mother who's dead, by the way, they're, they're having a conversation about the previous chapter and there's no, usually no attribution. Uh, so I, I had to make sure that you, for the most part, that you could tell who was speaking. Mm. Um, but there were, there are times later in the book where you can always follow it back to the beginning and figure it out if you can't figure out who's talking. But it's a mother and daughter. It's identity stuff. They're in, they're enmeshed. Like, it's okay. 
if you read it and you aren't sure at times. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like that, like somebody might say that's a the flaw, same. but they're, they're meant to be, you know, uh, the, I, you know, mother daughter identity stuff, man. It's so, okay. it's, it's deep. It's deep. Yeah. Well, and, and doing that, like, you know, the connective tissue or interstitial parts of the book and the structure of the book, how much uh, input did you have from like a, I don't know, do you have like somebody who always reads your stuff or do you have an editor who really gave a lot of input or was this something you did all on your own? Both, both. Yeah, no, I, I didn't do it all on my own. No, I, ha- I have reader friends and my editor, Cal Morgan at Harper, uh, who's not there now, but he did two, I did two books with him and he is so uh, hands-on and so, uh, so good at what he does uh, and so thorough that I am always inclined to take what he says and do it. Yeah. Because I want to make the work better. That's a lucky person to have. When, so like, lucky. Like a trusted editor oh. who's good at that. So good. Yeah. So good. What's he going to do now? Or do we not know? We don't know. Okay. Uh, my plan is that like the next time I'm home for a little while is to have lunch with him and make him tell me. Yeah. Um, <laughs> okay. But he, he, no, he says, he uses words like creative things and whatever and... So it's cryptic and undefined. At this I, yeah, point. I feel like there's some. I feel like there's some secret, and I'm gonna. I'm, it's my mission to find out. Okay. Well, when you find out, call me. Yeah, I will. <laughs> we'll, I will. We'll break the news on the podcast. <laughs> um, and so you've been out in Los Angeles for the the book fair. Yeah. What the, the Los Angeles Times Festival of Books? That's, lost, that's correct. It's kind of like book overkill. We had AWP right into the festival. Yeah, I. I mean, there were a couple of people who I. I mean, I heard it was they were pretty fried. Well, that's people, a crazy thing that it would happen like that. Well, and to do, but. Pick one. I mean, if you do them back uh, to back, that's overkill. Yeah, well, that's you, what I did. You do one and it's fine. Yes. And you chose the festival. Yes. Because, like, did you have the option or was it just like, this is the well, one I have I, to do? Well, I wasn't on any panels at AWP and I wasn't going to, I couldn't possibly do both. Yeah. So, you know, the book festival, it's like my second home at this point. Like, right. I, there's no way I wasn't going to, if they were going to have me, I was going to come. Yeah. And you liked it. I you, loved did it. Did your panel? I did. My man, panel was a blast. Who, what was your panel? Uh, it was, they call it the art of the real. They okay. always have these weird titles, but yeah. we, you know, we talked about like truth and fiction, that kind of. Thing. Who was on? Who was on it with you? So my panel, David Eulin was on yeah. my panel, former, and, formerly a guest on this program. Yes, and and Wright. Okay. Uh, Diana Wagman, who lives here, formerly a guest on this program. All right. Yeah. And me. All right. Formerly a guest. On this <laughs> <laughs> and it was really. Funny and fun and loose and yeah. uh, and Enright is brilliant. I don't know her work before, which apparently I'm the only one. But she not is, to be confused with Anne Rice. Not to be confused for, for sure, but uh, she was just funny and sharp and awesome. We yeah. were all kind of like, wow, she's okay. the jam. Well, I'll, yeah. have to, I'll have to track her down. Yeah, yeah, she's good. Um, are you working on something new? And by the way, is, is, is the movie before I get there? Is the movie? Uh, you're going to do festivals with it and stuff? It's like being cut I right think now? that's the idea. Okay. I think that's the idea. Yeah. Okay, but- uh, uh, that there'll be some festivals. But it, also the idea was that it would probably be uh, a, like an IFC or a Netflix or a Sundance or yeah. Channel or yeah. one of those kinds of things. There's so many different ways to skin yeah. the cat yeah, with that Yeah, he's done that now. before and he's done well with it. So yeah. I think that was sort of the idea. I mean, but you know, if some big distributor wants to come and say, like, this is obviously like the next big thing, or it's like Oscar, you know, it seems, yeah, like, it, it's, right. it seems like the kind of movie that, like, if it does get theatrical release, 
it would be that kind of movie. It seems like there's no, only, it's, it's, it's a, a quiet, it's a of, narrow space. Yeah, yeah. And then everything else is like superheroes and big budget yeah. and lasers. Yeah. And that's yeah. what goes into the theater. Now. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so everything, this else, is not is, that. everything yeah. else is on Netflix yeah. or Hulu or whatever. Yeah. And we like it that way. It's hey, as viewers. It's easier. Yeah. You know, especially if you're uh, lazy. <laughs> <laughs> yes. You know, or like to go to bed at nine o'clock at night. Completely inert. And like, I, I, you know, I've been wanting to go see the new Richard Linklater movie. Like, oh, yeah. He's a filmmaker that'll get me out of my house. Like, yeah, sure. I would love to go yeah. see it, but I just... We go to movies. You do? Yeah. What's the last movie you saw? Ah! What you was think? the last movie? We have a really nice, like, independent movie house in our little town, but now, what was the last movie? It's been a good month or so. Okay. Yeah. yeah I, it's like, it's like, tell me your favorite joke, or who's your... <laughs> your mind just, it's like blank, but uh, I'm trying to think of what I saw in the theater... I went through this on Twitter. I, we saw Crimson Peak. I, that was one of the last movies. That, that was crazy. I think that's what it was called. It was a horror movie, like a gothic horror movie. Okay. There's a lot of, you know, crimson blood. I can't, was, get, I can't go see horror movies. It wasn't very I'm good. I'm such a wimp. I like horror movies. You do? Yeah. You like to, you scream? You go, but I like good ones or like thrillers. Oh yeah, I scream for I, sure. I, like, I screamed at like, okay, I'm staying at my friend's house who have these little kids and they were away for the weekend. So... It's like 10 o'clock, I'm watching Netflix, yeah. and I hear this weird like child song oh, out, at, uh, coming from outside. I'm like, who's playing a child song right now? I creep outside in my bare feet into the yard, and I put my video, my phone on, so I was like, well, this could be good. <laughs> but I was also terrified. <laughs> right. And But it was like, you know in the movies when the, the toys animate by themselves? Yeah. This, this is literally what happened. So I hear, nee, 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 nee. Oh. and then like, and all of a sudden, flashing lights. So... Scared the shit out of me. Yeah. So I go, ah! <laughs> and that is on the video now. And then, like, when I brought the toy into the light, it was like this toy train. It was like a kid's toy train. But the switch was like a mechanical switch. Like, it wasn't like a switch that could be just like, like, you had to switch it with your hand. And I was like. Okay. That's weird. Maybe, that was, maybe it was on and then it, like, sort of shorted somehow and kicked on. That's what, that's what my friend said. Yeah. But I, I've been around enough kid toys. That can happen. It maybe. was. I have not recently, and it scared the daylights out of me. <laughs> or maybe like a, a cat or something, like a yeah, stray right. cat, like yeah. stepped on it. Who knows? Right. Well, that's creepy. Yeah, it was scary. Why did I? Why did I tell you that? I don't. We were talking about horror movies. Oh like, yeah, horror movies. I like a thriller, but like just like like the movie like Saw, you know, where they're just like dismembering people. I can't get into that stuff. Oh, I can't either. But I'm a big Walking Dead fan. I had to discontinue watching that because it would give my wife nightmares. Oh, yeah. But I was into it for like three seasons. Ben's not into it, but I, that doesn't keep me from watching it like under the covers. It fucks with my head. I'm obsessed. Yeah. Wait, wait, well, how many seasons deep are they? Like six now? Six or seven, yeah. Six. Six. Well, I could binge watch it. You should. It's sort of nice. Like, I'm so delayed on watching. Like, I'm watching Mad Men right now. I'm that guy. Oh, yeah, yeah, like, yeah. I'm like four years behind But everybody. I was behind on everything, and that's one reason. I mean, I wasn't into zombies, but that's one. So that was part of the reason why I didn't watch Walking Dead from the beginning. So I binged up to, like, season four, and then I started watching it. Did you, uh, do you ever, like, have any uh, notions of writing something like that? Like, horror, macabre, gothic, movie? Or... You know... When I was in college, actually, now that you mention it, I, I took a screenwriting class with a friend and we co-wrote what was a horror movie. Oh, wow. Yeah. What, was it, what was it called? I think it was called something like, it was, oh, it was called Sideshow. You know, it was I, about a creepy sideshow that came to town. That sounds creepy. For a college like student, it was. It, I thought it was pretty good. I think I've talked about this on the show before, but I made a horror film as my student film as an undergraduate film student, and it was about a woman who... Uh, steals 
her ex-lover's dog and drowns him. Oh my god! <laughs> and it was just like it was really bad. And when, <laughs> when, I, when I showed you it, made like how long of a film? Like it a- was like a. 10 15 minute film okay. and it was like really really bad and oh it was like God. i just remember these that like, sounds kind of good she though. put it she put the dog in like a burlap bag <gasps> that's horrible like, oh my God. Like, there were like these like really melodramatic like super slow motion images of her like <sighs> spinning around like getting ready to throw the bag into the lake wow and, yeah oh my God, that's and so I, when awesome. they showed it <laughs> at the screening uh i had intended this as like my west craven moment and like the laughter in the theater was like People were just like, oh. dying laughing, and I was like, oh, no. "I was like, that's not what I meant." Oh no! <laughs> so I made a, I accidentally made a great comedy. That's it was a low moment. Oh, I'm sorry. Brad. I'm, I'm feeling humiliated right I'm now. Really it's sorry. all coming back to me. <laughs> it was formative. It was, but you know what? It was like yeah. I've had a couple of those moments in my education where I felt that sense of like shame or, or humiliation, and I, I can remember both of them. Yeah, it, it was instructive. Did you ever have anything like that? I probably have. You yeah. should. You should have just said no. <laughs> <laughs> no, I got. I. I really kind of out of the gate. I kind of came out of the gate. No, I published my first book at forty, Brad. <laughs> just figure that in those years, what might have been happening. Yeah, was I mean, not... we, we we most of us have those kinds of. I mean, by the way, I was nineteen when I made that film. Yeah, right. so you, um, I'll cut you a little slack. And then in graduate school, even so though you really did kind of mess up, I obviously. just fucked it up yeah. horrendously. Yeah. Uh, and somewhere exists a copy of that film, maybe in nice. this garage. I don't know. Where. Huh? Um, but no, I think you have to, like, I think there's something about a workshop experience or, you know, if you're showing a film that you made as a student where your failure on the page or on the screen becomes public, especially prior to publication where it's going to become a, you know, a much more public thing. But those were instructive moments. There was an accountability that I felt and it was like, Oh, I didn't reach these people. I didn't do my job. I didn't connect as yeah. a communicator yeah and yeah. i don't know just that alone you know it just it, that's it, i don't like at 19 i would have had a really hard time with that i would have I, that might that could have set me back i was not i, was, I mean i wasn't putting stuff you know part of the reason i didn't publish until so late was because i wasn't willing to put my stuff out there yeah you know but maybe but see there's something to be said for waiting because you, you for get, me it was there was for some, sure you get to be seasoned yeah. and you get to I didn't know anything then exactly and I'm you, not sure I know much now. <laughs> <laughs> but there's, you know, you've lived enough life. I think you accrue, right. you accrue knowledge right. no matter what. This is what I think I knew at 19 and 25 and 30 was that I didn't know enough. Like that was the, like, I was like, I think I have a little talent, but I just feel like I, I, need I don't suck. have some real, I don't have, like, I don't know what I feel like I need to know to write better. Yeah. I was going to say, I need to suffer more. I need, I need more. to suffer more. <laughs> I need, to, I need like to accrue some years. But I knew I wasn't a wonderkind or whatever, you know, like I just mm. wasn't that person. Right. And what's up with that person? I don't, I don't know. I, mean, I, I don't know. I'm, I am astonished by those people. Well, I, I, my theory on um, prodigies is that they just start way earlier and that maybe yeah. is their genius or whatever is yeah. that they have like a sense of purpose and direction and discipline yeah. at an early age. Yeah, maybe. Or they have a stage mother <laughs> who's like taking them to auditions or, you know. <laughs> Yeah. But if you think of somebody who's publishing a novel at 21. But a novel that's like insightful or whatever, or that's well written and smart. Yeah. You know, that has like, uh, conveys, like, how do you understand that at that age? That's uh, the, that's the part that I don't get. Those fuckers. Yeah, right. Who are they? Who are they? Where did they come from? Give me some names. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I guess, yeah, there is, I mean, there's room for that. There's room for the young genius. But like, I think like, 
there are probably people who have published novels at that young of an age that have done really well. Like, let's just say Brett Easton Ellis. Okay. And he's 21 when less than zero. Like, he's a college kid. Right. And I wonder what he would say about that. Like, on sodium pentothal or even even not. Like, you, you wonder, like, it seems to me like he was just working from what he knew. And what he was seeing around right. him, like both as a kid and growing up in the valley or whatever, and yeah. then also at Bennington. And, yeah. And, and yeah, I guess he was seeing it with some depth. But, but there was an original voice there, yeah, you know. A clarity. Yeah. A narrative. Uh, yes. A sense of, uh, like, just an, a, a, an ability and a level of mastery that was unique for somebody that age. Absolutely. And, and maybe, like, hand in hand with a type of confidence or something. Right. That, you know... I don't know. I mean, I don't, you know what I mean? But yeah. yeah. I, but I, don't, I, I guess I, the, my point is that I wonder what he would say about yeah. his depth of knowledge. Versus, Looking back? Yeah. Like, yeah. like at that age, did yeah. he really like have like a deep, like a, like a prodigiously deep understanding right. of these people? Or yeah. was he just able to... I would be curious to know the answer to that as well. Tell their now story. Now that you're asking it that way. Yeah. You know, it, you know. What, I mean, or maybe people look back on their youthful books and they don't think they're all that anymore. I'm sure most of us look back on their, our youthful writing or whatever and just like see all the warts. For sure. You know. For sure. Do you have? Do you think that because you didn't publish until you were forty, you have less of that? Like, do you look back at your early? I effort? do because those things that I wrote are not out there. You know, and so or and then, you know, I know that people are still reading my first book. Some people teach things from that book, so. That's okay. Yeah. You know, that's a good, um, that's a good litmus. Yeah. Or like the story that they read at um, Selected Shorts was from my third book. I was like, really? I better read that and see if it's still like okay. <laughs> you know? <laughs> but that's cool. It's, I think it's a good, I mean, I think maybe the positive thinker in me or the more positive side of my personality wants to believe that if you've completed a book and someone has seen fit to publish it, that that you know it's hard it's hard to do like you should not look back on it with all of this like loathing i agree i agree you know too like i mean certainly books that are not great get out there but here's here's something that i learned when i was a i was a judge on for the fiction category uh for the la times book prizes for two years in a row Uh a couple years back and you obviously get a lot of books in the mail so many um but i don't get that many books like I mean we would get hundreds and hundreds of books coming through the house that, and you can't possibly read all those books but I would crack them and whittle them down or whatever but you know what was fascinating to me was how many really well written books there are the outstanding books so you whittle them down like in terms of judging you whittle them down to like the outstanding books but there are a lot of really well, competently well written yeah. books you, you know, s- s- everybody has their tastes and all of that. Um, but but just I just say it to point out the fact that, yes, if somebody is picking your book to publish, there's probably a good chance that it's okay. Yeah, right. It's got, <laughs> but there's a vetting process. Yes, it, you know? exactly. There is, at least in, you know, at least in traditional publishing or yeah. m- more traditional publishing. But yeah. you talk about being a judge and you talk about seeing all of these books and uh, at least reading a little bit from them and then trying to kind of like you know, separate the wheat from the chaff and find the outstanding books. Yeah. Did judging uh, that competition and going through that process give you any insight into what makes an outstanding book? Like, what is it that makes a book outstanding? Well, I mean, I have my criteria. And the reason, with this particular process, there were three judges. They 
they let us choose the books like to you know there's nobody outside that's saying like you have to look at these particular books each of the three of us would put lists of books together for them to send us there was some overlap in what we were looking at but then we would each of us had our own particular reading tastes and so uh you know now i've done something terrible here um betsy just touched the microphone Don't touch I gestured. <laughs> I said I wasn't going to gesture. Um, you know, so there, but I, I have, like, my criteria is not necessarily the same as someone else's. What, what seems like a striking, or what was the word, the adjective that I used? Outstanding. Outstanding. I, I really like prose that, like, knocks me on the head. Yeah. Um, everybody doesn't love that. But I want to really, like, people like nice just people like nice, like quiet prose. I like that too, but I'm I like to be wowed. Yeah, you know. Yeah, and so that's like the 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 sentences and the and the words and the language are are sometimes more for me than other aspects of it. Um, but you know, all the typical things like characters that you don't forget, or if a book, you know, you want a book to make you feel something. That's right? it. And. Well, I think about all these like component parts. You know, it's like we we know all of this stuff. It's like character, uh, good plot, good uh, sentence by sentence. Yeah. You know, writing. Yeah. Uh, but I'm sort of obsessed with this idea that might be a fiction, but I feel like there's always like this added element of some sort of weird cosmic <laughs> something. Yeah. That like if you see a great film or you read a great book, like something's happening in there. Yeah. That you almost can't game. And they're, you know, yeah. the, the the writer or the artists, you know, are channeling it, and, you know, I don't know. Am, am yeah. I trying? Am I am I making mystical something that's really just more like, <laughs> you know, uh, like you know, blue collar work? You know, it's just it's just right. it's just sweat equity. They just put the work in. <laughs> yeah. You know. Yeah. Do you, yeah. do you do you ascribe any kind of like mysticism to the creative process, or are you more like practical about it? Um, maybe like some small percentage. Yeah. yeah, maybe it's different for everybody. But I do feel like there are. I know that I've had the experience. I mean, not mysticism in the sense like not magical. There's nothing magical about it. But I do. I have had moments writing where you know you're in the zone, so to speak. Yeah. And it it does. This book is writing me. Yeah. Right. <laughs> I didn't. Yeah. No. It. It. it it does, there, I have had those moments over the course of writing all these books where I really felt like I was so in the zone that there was something else that was making that was making it happen that wasn't just my brilliant thinking. So what about this latest novel, the one with your mom? Did you feel at any point like you were channeling her or you were in touch with her in some way? Uh, yeah, not in that mystical way, but very much in like the writing of like trying to get inside her head was... Uh, it actually it wasn't hard to do, uh, but it was hard to sit with. Like yeah. fr- it wasn't hard to do from a creative standpoint, but it was hard to do from an emotional standpoint. It, 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 it's wrenching. It's exhausting. Yeah, it was. It was really exhausting. I wrote in shorter like bits sometimes because it was just too much. I was just like, okay. That's where I'm at right now. Really? Like 300 word days, but I'm yeah, like sitting there for same. like six hours. Same. Yeah. Same. Okay. Yeah. And do you ever worry that you're writing stuff that might not be? Like it's really sad, or it's uh, or it's uh, it's not pleasant. Yeah, there's nothing funny about it. Yes, and it's like coming really slowly as you're writing it. Did you ever find yourself thinking like, is anybody going to want to read this? I always think that. Are you kidding? Okay, and then what's the? But once you've thought that and you've gone through the process and you've published, do you have any sense of 
what the outcome typically is because like I want to believe like that stuff's actually what people want to read. But maybe I'm just right. maybe I'm just trying to I you know I like the sort of place where I landed kind of a long time ago was like I do it for myself, right? And mm. I try to read I try to write things that I write obviously what I'm interested in, but I I kind of just think like I hope that what interests me will end up interesting someone else. Yeah, I think I feel like if you go to those places honestly and you write them down well, and you're working from that level of like intimacy or whatever, that's what's going to register with people. It seems to have worked for me so far. Well, yeah. And it's like the, uh, you know, people, uh, I think one of the mistakes that I've made in the past as a writer, especially when I was younger, is like, you know, p- placing this burden of universality upon myself. Yeah. Like, what, what do I have to say that's going to connect with people? I know. Well, I have an opera singing mom. Like, who's, how many people are going to connect with that? Right. But, like, I always see people, who, like, I hear about somebody, like, I always, like, have a fantasy about being best friends with Sandra Bullock because her mother was an opera singer. And I just feel like if we met, we would really, like, connect. And Sandy, so she, she would understand I'm me. sure she listens to the show. Sandy, yeah. if you're listening. <laughs> but, so, so that's the specific, right? Yeah. But the universal is, like, she's a mom. And when, so when people read my stuff and they say, like, like people had some very early readers had like very emotional reactions to this book. And that's the vibe I'm getting so far, but that, I, I don't know why that surprises me, but the personal is universal. Yeah, it, it does. I mean, it's great, but it, it really like, I was like, I didn't mean to make you cry. Yeah. I really didn't. I did not set out to make you cry, but I'm actually really happy that I did. I, <laughs> absolutely. absolutely. No, but listen, if you write something that can make people cry, that's a good thing. I think so. I, mean, I like to. You know, uh, hopefully it's like, I don't know, the right kind of tears. You don't yeah. want to make somebody like <laughs> like miserable. <laughs> but like tears of emotion where exactly. you've, you've made them feel something. Yes. Just by making, uh, you know, some black marks on a white page. Exactly. That's the magic of it. Yeah. Right? Yes. That's, I mean, not to be too uh, no, it's squishy true. about it. Yeah. That's no. a hard thing to do. And that's pretty cool if you've been able to uh, achieve that. It's a good feeling. To yeah. watch my early readers weep. <laughs> well, listen, uh, super fun talking with Same. you. I'm glad we got a chance while you were here in town. Congratulations on the new book. Congratulations on the movie. And Thank then you. You, you said it earlier quickly, but you're working on a collection. Uh, yes. Early stages. Late All, stages. Late stages. Yeah. You keep going. Yeah. You don't st- You work every day. Uh, I try to. Uh-huh. Sometimes things get in the way. Yeah. But I try to. I feel better when I write, so I just try to write. Discipline. No, it's not discipline. It's really just like, I feel shitty when I don't write. Okay. I like, I mean, I, it's what I look forward to in my day. All right. Yeah. Well, I wish you luck with everything and thanks once again. Thanks, Brad. All right, guys. That is Elizabeth Crane. Her new novel is called The History of Great Things, available now from Harper, uh, Harper Perennial. And you can find her online at elizabethcrane.com. She's also on Facebook. She's on Instagram. She's on Twitter. Her Twitter handle is at uh, Elizabeth underscore Crane. Thanks to Kill Rockstars for the music. As always, be sure to check out killrockstars.com. Also, special thanks to Kenny G. Kenny G, Kill Rockstars, two separate things. Get yourself some Kenny G. It's a mood changer. I know you don't believe me, but it is. Maybe you do believe me. 
Don't forget that this podcast has its own official app. The Other People with Brad Listy app is uh, available at the iTunes store. It's available, uh, you know, wherever you get your Android apps. Whatever the case may be, it's free. It's the best way to listen to this program. Get the app on your device. You can also sign up for a, a premium subscription right there within the app. That gets you access to all of the episodes. You get 50 for free. And then if you want to get access to the full archives available whenever you want, wherever you go, just sign up for premium. It's uh, 75 cents a month. If you want to email me, the address is letters at otherppl.com. You can also tweet at me at otherppl on Twitter. Ask me questions, weigh in, evaluate, criticize. It's actually late here. I, uh, I tried to do the show before dinner. I couldn't finish it. I didn't feel good about what I got. I started over. So I'm uh, fatigued. Kenny G. Please remember that Edmund Wilson once called Robert Frost, quote, a dreadful old fraud, and that David Gascoigne was addicted to both benzedrine and lighter fluid fumes. That's it for now. Thanks for listening, you guys. And uh, thank you to Elizabeth Crane. And uh, what else can I tell you? Thanks for all the good questions. Thanks to all the questioners. My apologies to questioners whose questions I did not get a chance to answer. Maybe next time. I'll let you guys just uh, relax here to some Kenny G. I'm not gonna, there's no need for me to keep talking. Let's let Kenny handle this. still here.